the books we never read, the podcast that encourages you to conquer the literary white whales in your life. I'm Sarah the Library Girl, your book club host and fellow Never Finisher, and we'll get through this together. This week we learn more than we ever cared to know about the bureaucratic world of Dickensian England, encountered some old friends, and have a chat with one of our own readers, and get to hear from one of the cutest little readers of all. I hope you all have forgiven me for the gap in episodes last week. January has been nonstop real life around here, and last week was crazy to say the least. But I'm still alive, and I'm still reading, and that's what counts. But let's jump in, shall we? Um, So chapter 9, Little Mother. If you remember, last week we left Arthur locked up in for the night in the Marshall Sea, having been too slow to leave um, after visiting with Mr. Dorrit. Um, we begin this week's readings with him awakening early, anxious to get out and do some more digging into the Dorrit family situation. In seeking out Amy to talk to, um, he's referred to the boarding house where Fanny, her sister, and Mr. Frederick Dorrit, the uncle, lodge. Niceties about the previous evening are exchanged, and Arthur offers to accompany Amy on her errands for the morning so they might have a chance to talk. Arthur, of course, gently, very gently, questions Amy on his family's possible involvement with her father's debts, which is still rather uncomfortable for Amy, so much so that she makes a little speech um, beseeching Arthur not to misunderstand or judge her father for his lot in life, explaining that she prefers that his mother not know her situation, not because of her shame about her father's place in the Marshalsea, but because people might think think ill of her father. Um, She is able to supply Arthur with the name of a Mr. Tite Barnacle, who would be able to assist in uh, providing information on Mr. Dorrit's creditors, and he makes assurances of his friendship to her. En route back to the Marshall Sea, um, they encounter Maggie, an old family friend, a young woman of about 28, who, having caught fever at the age of 10, stayed at that mental age ever since. Arthur observes Amy's gentleness with Maggie and everyone's heart melts. I know, I know, that's editorializing, but I really just love this scene um, for a show of Amy's kind-heartedness. Then we come to chapter 10, containing the whole science of the government. That is the actual title of this chapter, which, if you skimmed through, I'll not blame you. Um, Basically, after leaving Amy... Arthur goes to seek out Mr. Tight Barnacle at the Circumlocution Office, and we learn that England's government at this time was inefficient, to say the very least. Circumlocution, by the way, means the use of many words where fewer would do, especially in a deliberate attempt to be vague, which is exactly the picture we have um, drawn for us here in Chapter 10. The TLDR, or Too Long Didn't Read, for those non-internet natives, um, is this... um, Appointments must be made and forms filled and committees sat upon before any action regarding the history of Mr. Dorrit's debts can be found or released. So Arthur leaves in disgust, only to meet again our old practical friend, Mr. Meagles, who is also leaving the office in frustration with an inventor by the name of Daniel Doyce, who has just gotten the runabout by the barnacles himself. Um, I assume while seeking a patent, it's never really made clear. In short, bureaucracy sucks. In chapter 11, we come to another old friend, this time Shady Old Rigo, who apparently has gotten off scot-free as far as the courts are concerned in that apparent murder case, but is lying low under the name of Lagnier, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, 
as locals would exact swift justice upon him if they knew uh, who he really was. Um, Rigaud, or Lanier, as we must now refer to him, finds Jean-Baptiste Cavalletto at an, at an inn and confines his new identity to the sweet little Italian man. Jean-Baptiste knows what's good for him and hightails out of there as soon as Lanier, or Rigaud, is asleep. Finally, in chapter 12, Arthur finds his way to the Bleeding Heart Yard, where he meets uh, yet another group of people who would do literally anything for Amy Dorrit, the Plornish family, who, like the rest of the inhabitants of the yard, are hard-pressed for work and not for want of seeking it. Arthur employs Mr. Plornish um, to run the errand of paying off Tip Dorrit's gambling debts, and there we and Arthur are left to wonder at the unemployed state of all these people. Um, we, there's also made mention the name of Mr. Casby, who is the uh, landlord of the whole Bleeding Heart Yard. Um, and that, peeking ahead to the next chapter, I think he comes in a little bit more there. So that is the quickest of summaries of this week's reading. Um, I really wanted to kind of just like breeze through that because the visit to the circumlocution office really bogged down this week's reading. I don't know if it was just me or anybody else, but that made it a little hard. Um, so breezing through that, we'll be getting on to next week's reading, the next four chapters, and hopefully seeing a little more, bit more action. But uh, before we get to our special guest interview today, of course, we're going to go through our character roll call for the week and a couple quotes that I found interesting while reading. So this week, our characters that we have seen are um, Amy Dort, of course, Arthur, um, Frederick Dorrit, remember the uncle, that's William's brother, um, Fanny, and there's main mention of Tip, or Edward, the brother of Amy. Um, then the circumlocution office is kind of a character all in and of itself, um, and that includes the Barnacles, um, Mr. Tite, and Junior, and then various other clerks who are eating mashed potatoes and weird stuff like that. Um, then, of course, Mr. Meagles reappears, um, and Daniel Doyce is a new character. We also have the return of Rigo, and now remember that another name associated with him um, is now Langnier. Um, and then we have John Baptist uh, Cavalletto, the Italian man, as well. And then finally, we have the Plornish family, Mr., and I don't think we get a first name for him, but we do get a first name for his wife, and she is Sally. And then, of course, mention of Mr. Casby, who is the landlord of the Bleeding Heart Yard. Speaking of the Bleeding Heart Yard, that was one of the quotes I wanted to read. Um, I really enjoyed this description of where the name of Bleeding Heart came from. Um, the opinion of the yard was divided respecting the derivation of its name. The more practical of its inmates abided by the tradition of a murder. The gentler and more imaginative inhabitants, including the whole of the tender sex, were loyal to the legend of a young lady of former times, closely imprisoned in her chamber by a cruel father for remaining true to her one true love, and refusing to marry the suitor he chose for her. The legend related how that young lady used to be seen up at her window behind the bars, murmuring a lovelorn song, of which the burden was bleeding heart, bleeding heart, bleeding away, until she died. It was objected by the murderous party that this refrain was notoriously the invention of a timbre worker, a spinster and a romantic, still lodging in the yard. But for so much as all favorite legends must be as 
associated with the affections, and as many more people fall in love than commit murder, which it may be hoped, however so bad we are, will continue to the end of the world to be the dispensation on which we shall live. The bleeding heart, bleeding heart, bleeding away story, carried the day away by a great majority. Honestly, I like the murder story better. And now, without any further ado, I will um, introduce you to one of my very good friends and friend of the show who agreed to um, sit with me for an interview, which we recorded um, this past weekend while I was out of town in Knoxville. So I hope you enjoy. So we are starting. So listeners, I have a special guest with me to talk about her reading life and challenges. I am super pleased to introduce you, my bosom buddy and friend who in part inspired this podcast, who just happens to share my name. Sarah, welcome to all the books we never read. Thank you very much. I am super excited to be doing this because we're sitting in your living room with little women on in the background and Oliver in the swing making cooing noises. So if you hear baby noises, that is Sarah's six-month-old, basically six-month-old. Yes. Um, So I wanted to ask you a couple questions. Sure. To share with our readers, you know, somebody who's also on the reading end that's not just me. So first of all, what do you like to read on a regular basis? Well, I grew up loving fantasy, so all things like Redwall or Lord of the Rings, but starting last year, I had a reading goal to like branch out so I started reading a lot more nonfiction, and I really enjoyed it. I started with um, Girls of the Atomic City oh, yes. and loved that and um, so just going to the library randomly and finding some something that I don't know about and that I'm slightly interested in and learning more about it or um, some of the classics that I've never read so this is a good this is a good group for me to read because it's a lot of classics here that I haven't ever touched that just look pretty on myself. I know, we do. <laughs> yeah, so that's really awesome. Um, and Girls of Atomic City, by the way, we're out here in Knoxville right now, and that's set in Oak Ridge, which is just about an hour up the road, and that is such an amazing historical uh, nonfiction book about the Manhattan Project and the women that were involved with that. And highly recommend that. Yes, highly, and, highly. Yes. Um, so, speaking of the books you've never read, uh, so what are your personal white whales? Les Miserables. <laughs> it's probably a lot of people's. I've made it through maybe a fourth of it, and then I just kind of forgot about it. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> Why did you want to read Les Miserables? Well, I'm in love with the music, mm-hmm. which I realized it was a book way before it was a musical, yeah. but I, lo- I fell in love with the story and the redemption behind it, and so, so yeah, so then I was like, I really need to know more about this, and mm-hmm. I love, people pull out random Victor Hugo quotes all the time, yeah. and they're always so profound and thought-provoking, and so I just figured, I need to, I need to read it, I need to just for the fact that I need to say that I've read it if I'm going to be a fan of anything. Yeah. I need to, I need to know all of it, so we're working on that. That's yeah. my, in the past, my goals for reading have been like, I'm going to read this many books, but this year it's only <laughs> going to be that. As yes. long as I get through Les Mis, anything else will be icing on the cake. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. You probably, like me, got to the battle of Waterloo and then was out. <laughs> well, I might have gotten past that. I think I meant... I think we at least got to Cosette, okay. and she's like in the, the abbey. 
She said he's cool. So okay. I think we're okay. Cool. But yeah. I don't think I've gotten that far. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so any others besides Lewis? Um, I have Little Dora. I've, I've been working on our mutual friend. Mm-hmm. There's a couple of... Well, no. Those are probably... Oh, Fellowship Ring. Fellowship I'm in the middle Ring. of Fellowship of the Ring. Cool. Never finished The Lord of the Rings, so I'm starting over. And... Awesome. That's a definitely worthy goal. <laughs> <laughs> Lord of the Rings is important. It is. It is. Cool. So, um, how do you feel about reading Little Dorrit so far? I love it. <laughs> I feel kind of like a cheater because, like you, I saw the miniseries yes. first. But I was talking about it with my husband, and uh, I think it almost gives us an advantage because Dickens is so complicated in yes. his plots and his characters, and I think that it helped because I have faces with names. Exactly. And I, can, I kind of know where they're going. Yeah. So I've noticed things in the book that I probably wouldn't have noticed if I hadn't watched it. Yeah, for sure. But I do kind of feel like a cheater. I know. A I'm trying to read it with a fresh mind and not just think, this is how it happened in the movie, so this is how it's going to be. Or try not to read it, try not to give spoilers as I, like, write yes. summaries of each chapter. Um, because I know what's going to happen, like, ultimately. And, like, I know the significance of a couple things already. So I don't want to, like, foreshadow yeah. too much. I want that to, like, happen organically for the readers with us today. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'm excited about it, and I know, like, the two of us, we watched Little Dorrit together over the course of a summer, and it was so great. We're planning on hopefully watching it again, at least, you know, maybe simulcastly. Yes, we can do that. On either side of Tennessee. (laughs) Um, she lives out here in East Tennessee, and I live in West Tennessee. But, um, yeah, so do you have anything, any questions for me about... What is the number one... Of all of the lists that you have seen and all of the challenges that you have completed, what would you say is your number one thing that readers need to experience before they expire? Before the readers expire? Yes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My number one thing that and this might just because I have little women playing in the background, but little women, everybody, male or female, but mostly female, needs to read Little Women mm-hmm. before they die. Um, and like the real thing, not like the children's... Not an abridged version. Yeah, no. Yeah, because there's so much, I read it almost every year, and as I grow older, there's so much more I can take from it. From a little girl and like, you know, just like adventures and, you know, playing with sisters, to now like... As I'm an adult and, you know, going into, like, taking care of a house or in just the struggles of, you know, figuring out what you want to be when you grow up mm-hmm. and, like, how that looks. Um, it's just everything, it continues to stay fresh for me. And it's, yeah. it's really awesome. Yeah. It reminds me a lot of um, the Millie Keith series. Mm-hmm. I grew up with that one. And it's, so, like, the characters grow. Yeah. It's a whole lifetime book it's not like a oh this is this happened to this person at this point in their life it's like oh no this is their whole life yeah so so you can always find something to relate to yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
So thank you for you know, talking with me, however briefly. Yeah. I'm excited that you're reading with me because I know somebody's out there. I know there's a bunch of y'all out there, but um, <laughs> not even if I'm behind. I'm yeah, still working. <laughs> it's okay. I'm behind too. So I had homework this week and that didn't get done. I had orientation this week, which was the main thing that needed to get done. I came out to Knoxville. Yes. I climbed the campus hills <laughs> and I'm sore still from it. <laughs> but it happened and grad school is officially in session here. <laughs> so hopefully we can strike a good balance of readings and we won't be off. I know this episode is going to be way late by the time it comes out. So I apologize for that. But thank you, Sarah, for being with us. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Reading books together cause we can't do it alone. This is all the books we've never read. All the books we never read is written and produced by me, Sarah the Library Girl, and our theme song is by myself as well. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Books We Never Read. Books we never read. What do you see? Birds?